Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Haas Talks Voss. I'm the Haas, Matt Yakovit, Head of Open Source Strategy here at Percona. And today I'm joined by an extra special guest from the Postgres community, Andreas Scherbaum. Hi, Andreas. How are you today? Hi, much. Doing good. Thank you. And good afternoon for you. Ah, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Yes, I appreciate it. Um, and if, for those who are watching, you'll see that Andreas has a shirt that says, not money, not fame, but ice cream. Uh, so he works for ice cream, not money and fame, which is great because that's all I can afford to pay. Uh, but uh, as we have uh, people who are listening, not just watching, I figured I would give them the uh, the rundown of of the shirt. Now, I, I, I notice in this camera, you also have this wonderful elephant poster behind you uh, that I have not seen on our previous recording because of the way that it was. So uh is that is that in memory of postgres you know or is that just a cool elephant photo you liked there are actually two pictures of an elephant oh so one picture is just an african elephant yes uh -huh. uh -huh. postgres and the other it's a poster happy birthday postgres 20 years since oh. 1996. ah okay there you go there you go now uh, Andreas, you have a very similar story to my story in terms of how you got started uh, in your career. I got started in the mid-90s, 95 through 97, 98, working at an internet service provider, and I found out that you did as well. Maybe tell us how you got started in Postgres and what kind of led you to Postgres in the beginning. Yeah, so around 1996, 1997. Uh, I was working for an ISP and we also started doing these websites and not only static websites, but dynamic websites. Obviously, PHP came up and then we were looking for a database. Uh, my colleague found MySQL. We weren't quite happy with it. And we looked a bit further, found Postgres. I joined the ISC channel of Postgres and then I got stuck. Never <laughs> signed since I'm using Postgres. Ah, yes. So you kind of fell in love early with Postgres and you started working and contributing towards that over your career and really focused there. And your career has gone from many different companies in the Postgres space, and you have done lots of you know contributions over the years. I've seen videos and presentations you've given previously on various Postgres topics. Um, you've worked for uh, Pivotal, EMC, Greenplum, I mean, kind of everything in between, right? Yeah, I mean, it's all one big company in the end. Pivotal was acquired by VMware, but it was a spin-off of VMware and EMC, and I worked for EMC and joined Pivotal and back EMC and Pivotal again. Long story short, but I was working about 10 plus years for, for Pivotal and VMware. Well, let, let me ask you this. Uh, what, what about databases just kind of like got you hooked? I mean, a lot of people go into, you know, development. They like to code things. They like to, you know, maybe do sysadmin work. What what about databases kind of stuck out in your mind and they just kind of clicked early on? It's not much about databases, about data. So I oh, love data. Okay. I love to work with data. Uh, I love to make sure that data is actually correct and verify everything. I love to automate things and all place together somehow. But I got to love Postgres because it takes care of the data we have. Well, at a certain point, you started getting involved in not only the IRC community, but the local communities in Europe. And you have grown and, and you, have, you, you are on the board of Postgres Europe. Um, I'm curious, how did that all start? This started with one Italian guy popping up on an IRC channel in 
early 2007 announcing they have a Postgres conference in Italy. Who wants to come? This Postgres conference took place in Prato in Tuscany, so very nice city. If you have a chance, go and visit it. Uh, nevertheless, I jumped into my car, picked up another guy on the way, and we went to Prato, attended a very beautiful conference over two days. So they had also live translation for everyone. And it was a good conference. And the Prato Linux user group, which was the organizer of the conference, they had an office building in the, in the wall, city wall of Prato. And we could sit outside in the evening, play music, have some drinks. And that's how we started discussing, okay, how can we take this any further? A couple months later, at FOSTEM 2008, we founded Postgres Europe. Uh, got a first election for board of directors, that's when I joined. And then one year later, we had another Postgres conference, this time the first European conference, also in Prato. Ever since then, we are moving around with the Postgres Europe conference in different countries in Europe. And we also started creating a couple of local conferences, like we have Fostem PGD and the Fostem Dev Room and the Fostem Stand every year. We have Nordic PG Day jumping around in Finland, Sweden, and Norway, Norway, and also Denmark. We have PG Day Paris, just staying in Paris, obviously. We have PG Day Germany, not quite big. And then we're also helping local user groups. So if any of the local user group wants to run a conference, we can help them with infrastructure, payment systems, this kind of stuff, reservation system, coffee paper system. That's everything we developed for our own conferences and share with the other user groups. Well, and the good news is, you know, now that, uh, you know, COVID has died down a bit, a lot of people are, you know, starting to travel again. And so we get to go to these conferences in person as opposed to just doing the virtual portions, which I really do enjoy meeting people in person and getting to uh, know them, right? I think that's something that I uh, I, I always had uh, gravitated towards, and I really missed the last couple of years. I don't know about you. Oh, absolutely. I miss this as well. I miss the hallway track for conferences, even more than I miss the conferences by himself. So we had Nordic and Paris PG Day just a couple of weeks ago. We will have Postgres Conference Germany in May right before Pecona Live. So I'm basically oh. going to Postgres Germany and I'm flying to Austin. Oh, okay. We have Postgres Europe in Berlin in October. Yeah. No, and I mean, it's, it's great that we can start to visit and see people, do a little bit of travel, get out there, um, you know, and, and, and learn what's happening. And I think that's one of the things that I always look at conferences for is the ability to learn new things and figure out where users are experiencing some pain. And um, I don't know if, if you've gotten an opportunity over the last, you know, few months or, you know, since conferences started up or even just talking to people in the community. Um, I'm always, I always like to hear what other people are hearing in terms of what are users asking for? You know, what are their, their pain points nowadays? What are you seeing those trends uh, around users and uh, what are, what, what kind of problems do they have? Uh, well, we talk to users as well. We have preparations for the conferences. We also have local meetups, mostly online, still online these days, where we talk to people. We still have our mailing lists and Slack and our Telegram groups. So we, we still get a good feedback what people talk about. Uh, the other indicator I have for myself is I run this Postgres 
uh, person of the week interview and one of the questions I have is what is your personal pain point in Postgres? And the answers for this are quite different. So, hmm. What what's the most interesting answer, or the one that made you scratch your head when 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 you had someone answer that question? Most questions, most answers I get to this question is actually about vacuum in Postgres. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, that that tends to be a universal complaint, right? Yes, is vacuum. This is the pain point. I mean, it got improved over the years, but it's still one of the major pain points in Postgres, especially if you run high traffic databases. Even mm. for us in our company, we, we we don't struggle with it because we know how to deal with it, but it's still something you always have to take into account. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of companies, you know, they 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 do weird things, either setting wise or even turn it off. Then they run into the XID wraparound issue, and then they really cry. Um, and and I think that there's quite a bit of of, of work and pain around the auto vacuum and the vacuum processes that could be helped. There's the project of expanding transaction IDs to 64 bits. So maybe this will help with the wraparound if that gets implemented. Not so much with all the consuming disk space because you will still run out of disk, out of disk space if you disable auto vacuum and don't run vacuum. But maybe it helps for some pain points. Yeah, and you know it's weird because depending on the users or the audience or, or, or who's who's out there, they, they they think of this as is a necessary evil, uh, but a lot of them would rather waste the space than have to deal with the performance hit. And I know some companies who do weird things, like they'll they'll turn that off, they'll let their database grow, and then they'll say, "Oh, backups take too long, so I'm not going to back this up anymore, and I'll just you know understand that I'll have to go to a, a replica or or do something crazy." And it's like, why would you ever do that? but their data just keeps on growing and they don't want to deal with it. Um, so I think that that's a, a, an issue that we can all kind of commiserate with. Um, one of the things that I've really kind of been tracking and, and looking at is uh, the impact that kind of a developer-driven database um, trends have driven, right? So right now we're in this space where Cloud native slash microservices are all the rage in applications, which means everyone wants their own database, right? And so the number of people who have hundreds or thousands of databases in their data center is just growing exponentially. It's crazy. But uh, the, the developer's skill set isn't keeping up with the database knowledge. And so they're just looking for easy point and click deployments which, you know, hey, a lot of companies are doing their databases as a service or doing these different things to help with the automation of the operations, but it doesn't help them with the design and the architecture of the databases and the applications themselves. And I've noticed that those are generally lingering. And when they hit, it becomes a really significant problem. And when I mean, when I talk about that, I'm talking about data types, I'm talking about schema design, I'm talking about, you know, best practices if they decide to store JSON. They don't quite understand how these things work. And so they just implement and then hope for the best. And a lot of times that causes issues. Have you seen that as well? Oh, I've seen that quite a lot. I mean, if you start a small database performance, it's negligible, so you don't really care about it. If you have a wrong data type, yeah, query will take a couple of milliseconds longer. You don't care. 
initial database is going, we're talking gigabytes or even terabytes in table size, then obviously you have to care because everything gets slower. Uh, and then changing this afterwards, it's really, really painful. Not only in Postgres, I think it's painful in every database if you make this kind of mistakes. Uh, but yeah, you can't really operate a big database, large database in size of 100 gigabyte or more without knowing a little bit about the database design you're doing, in my opinion. Yeah, and this is one of the things that I know that you have given a few talks on data types and advanced data types and how to get the most out of them and how to choose the right one. And in fact, at Percona Live, you've got a talk coming up on advanced data types. So that's really exciting for people who are looking to get a bit more detail on how they can design those systems, choose the right data types, make use of you know some of those things that are out there like JSON uh, in a more um, efficient manner. I think that's a really good topic and I'm really looking forward to seeing that pop up on the schedule. Yeah, so this talk about data types I have is actually follow up to another talk I have, uh, basic data types in Postgres, where I learned the same thing you mentioned, that people, well, they know a little bit of data types, so there's an integer and there's a char. What else is there? What else can I use? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's for many people who don't really are deep into Postgres, that's where it stops. Then we have so many different basic data types in Postgres we can use and make good use of it and improve your performance and design. But I created a talk out of it and became very popular. And then I created another talk, advanced data types out of it, uh, where we talk about things like, okay, how can you use JSON? How can you use arrays? How can you use range types? And also, how can you create your own data type? Mm -hmm. If you do really good things with Postgres, like we do in my company, my, where I work, uh, you occasionally have to create your own data type to store data more efficiently, faster, better and that's what we are doing so postgres is really that extendable that you can also create your own data type and that's what i'm showing in this talk yeah i mean and that, that, that's a really powerful thing because i think from a developer perspective and again this is where you know i separate application developers from devops folks and you know people who work on back-end code because from a front end or an application developer a lot of times you know they're just not you know they're not seeing the impact, if you will. And, I, and one of the things that I did, and I'm going to geek out for a second, and I'll, I'll show you, you know, maybe, you, maybe you've seen somewhere, have you heard of the Yonk Box? Let me ask you, have you heard of the Yonk Box? No? Okay. Doesn't ring a bell. Ah, okay. So I, I'm the Yonk. Well, that's Yonk if it's my last name. But um, so I had this big problem articulating the value of proper design and Postgres functionality to developers. And so we would go to conferences and we've got Grafana up and our PMM tool up, you know, and it's showing like, you know, oh, look, you know, number of queries, latency, everything else. Um, but developers would just walk by, right? Because they're like, yeah, whatever. D databases, we don't care. So I built, wanting, yeah. <laughs> I, I built this, okay? And so what this is, is a controller that controls the database. This actually right. controls Postgres. So, you can't really see, but the buttons do things like they'll execute a backup. They'll do a vacuum. Like if you if you hit the button, it'll do a vacuum. Uh, it will change data types on certain columns. So there's these toggle switches. So you can turn it to a varchar versus an int or a big int um, or, uh, uh, you know, uh, different types of things there. It will also 
change the workload. So if you want to look at analytics workload versus um, a, a right heavy workload versus, a, you know, just a regular website workload. So it, I put this giant controller out there. And I've actually got a bigger one, uh, but it, it's in the mail coming back from Postgres, <laughs> Postgres <laughs> Silicon Valley show. Um, but it's so funny because people like, you know, they, they like buttons. And, and so they'll be like, ooh, so, so if I hit this button, what will happen? And then all of a sudden they hit the button and they see like the database go down or something. And they're like, oh, what did I do? And then I can tell them the story, right? And you make it a little real to them because it's, it's often hard to get through from a development standpoint. So... Um, I really encourage those who are interested to check out the advanced data types talk um, or the basic data types talk at uh, other conferences, because that is so important. And believe me, I know firsthand how uh, that impacts things. Most talks are on my website. So if you search my blog, I have a link to all of my talks there. Yeah. And one of the other things you mentioned earlier that, that you do is the Postgres person of the week, right? And so that is really cool. How did that get started? I've seen the, so it's not originally all my idea. I've seen the Python folks doing an interview oh, uh, regularly. Okay. And back in 2019, I've seen this popping up in my Twitter stream and it was lingering in my head. And then uh, we've been over New Year's Eve in Rome, Italy. And I was joined by Devil Magnus, one of my two close Postgres friends. And we were sitting in a hard rock cafe and I was pondering this idea and talking with Sam, okay, what can I do here? And then we came up with a name and a couple of names back and forth. And then, well, we went back from Rome home and it took me a couple more weeks to figure out all the technical details. So I asked a couple of friends, can I interview you for this? And then that's how it started. And it's going strong for two years now. I have 107, 108 interviews up as of today. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, just out of curiosity, how does one become the Postgres person of the week? Is there like a committee? Or, or, yes, or, or... No, yes, no committee. <laughs> All I have is a list of 300 something names. I actually have a talk about this now, uh, what I learned from interviewing the Postgres community. Um, it's up at CytosCon as of today. So they have a recording up for this. If you want to go oh, and check excellent. it out, search for CytosCon as a talk about this. Um, what I'm doing is everyone I'm interviewing, I also ask, can you recommend a couple other people I should interview? Oh, and then I nice. get a long list of like 350 something names now. And then I slowly go over this list, ask everyone, a couple people say no, most people say yes. Some people say yes and don't do anything. That's fine as well. But I always tend to have like five, four, six interviews in the queue I can publish. So... Excellent. So what did you learn? So you have a talk on it. So you should be able to tell me like what, what you learned from these interviews. Well, maybe just give me like the, the short answer. Like what are a couple of the interesting things you've learned from talking to these many people? About 60% of the people say Postgres instead of Postgres Square. <laughs> oh, well, okay. So I actually went over all the answers and I checked which name people use. Everyone is, often about two people say change the name. But everyone is fine using either Postgres or PostgreSQL. No biggie. And, but the majority actually uses Postgres these days. I was a bit surprised when I found this, but yeah, why not? If we keep on shortening it, it might just end up being PG. 
There's mm, yeah, a couple other things you can search for PG on Twitter. Uh, too I'm much sure. Other stuff I'm comes sure. Up. You know, like, uh, but uh, you know, yeah, yeah. It, I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's an uh, interesting data point for sure. Now, um, you know, I I am also um, you know curious. Um, you know, maybe you you can answer this. Uh, you know, in your travels and as you've seen different deployments, you've seen different things. What's well, some of the more crazy or interesting deployments or usage of Postgres that you've seen out there in the ecosystem? You see deployments where people don't change any configuration at all and mm. wonder why your backup is failing. You see deployments in the terabytes, actually. Uh, so I've seen databases doing like 30 terabyte in Postgres oh, yeah, easily. Yeah. Um, I worked for and with Greenplum for a while. So Greenplum is a shared nothing distributed database. So we've seen actually databases in the petabyte range where you just stack more and more racks together and it's all one big database and you have to coordinate all of this. Uh, but mostly it's just your go-to database somewhere either in the cloud or locally, couple gigabytes of data, couple hundred thousand rows, entry points, couple dozen tables. That's really the majority we see. Okay, okay. Well, now I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. And I like to throw some small rapid fire questions out there just to see, you know, what, what kind of answers I'll get. Um, you know, and, and sometimes this works well when I've got uh, a couple people in the room as well, but I'm curious. So favorite Postgres data type, what's your favorite Postgres data type? Big int. Big int. Any big reason int. why? Just, just because you like big numbers or? Uh, no, because if you choose integer, you more often than not have to change the big int anyway. Oh, okay. Okay, fair no, enough. It was the white type from the beginning. Fair enough. Uh, last book you read? Uh, that's one of the Pendergast romans from, uh, oh, what's the author's? It's an agent novel. Yeah. It's called Pendergast, Agent Pendergast. Ah, okay. Okay. Interesting. And um, your favorite version of Postgres, what was your favorite release that you've, that you've been part of or worked on? It's always the latest one. The latest one. And, okay. And by okay. latest one, I include the minor release. So do your upgrades. Yeah, of course. Yes. <laughs> you you want to make sure your systems are secure and bug free as much as possible. Yes. Um, now, do you have a favorite feature or thing that has come out in the last couple of releases or maybe will be coming out shortly? Uh, so we can replicate uh, sequences in Postgres 15. This was a major pain point that you could not replicate the settings for sequences up to now. And that's changing in 15. That will be good. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, what is the number one tuning parameter people mess up or don't get right? Shared buffers. Shared buffers. Okay. Okay. Because more often than not, they don't change it. Postgres uh -huh. by default is tuned for small memory usage. So if you just install it, it will just run fine on any box you install it. But if you don't tune it, you will see performance penalties. Go and change uh -huh. shared buffers. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. 
So uh, Andres, I want to thank you for hanging out with me for a little bit today, uh, chatting with me, giving me a little bit about your background, talking to me about the Postgres European community and some of the work you're doing there. I really do appreciate having this time to sit down and chat with you. You're welcome. I'm looking forward to see you in Austin. Yes, and I promise you ice cream for doing this. I Old. swear I'll, <laughs> I'll buy you a giant bucket of ice cream. Thank you very Solid. much. I appreciate it. Yes. Okay. Thank you for taking the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, those who are listening or watching, go ahead and make sure you like and subscribe to this. Uh, we appreciate any feedback you might have. If there are guests you think we should have, please let me know. I would love to talk to anybody in the Postgres, MySQL, Mongo, open source. Hey, I'll talk to anybody. I like to just talk to people. That's just me. I'm a talker. Um, so go ahead and recommend those. But we appreciate you hanging out with us today, and uh, we will look forward to seeing you next time. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.